Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Michael Seville. So, Michael, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what church you're at. Yeah, I'm at uh, East Palmyra Christian Reformed Church, uh, just a little bit east of Rochester, New York. Um, I'm married to my wife, Rachel. We have three uh, daughters, um, uh, 14, uh, what's the 12 and 10? No, 13 and 10. Uh, I've been here for just about four and a half years, and uh, we love it here. We love the the ministry. Uh, it's a church of about uh, 120 or so people. I also teach. We have a it's one of those situations where you have the, we're small town rural and we have uh, the parsonage, the church and the Christian school. It's a classical Christian school. And I also teach high school Bible there at the school. Okay. Wow. Awesome. And is this your first call or have you served at other CRC churches prior? This is my first call in the CRC and it's sort of an interesting background. My, my background actually, when I was uh, became a new believer uh, and that's when I was just out of high school, beginning college. Uh, I quickly found myself uh, listening to Lloyd Jones, other R.C. Sproul, other Reformed teachers, and ended up in the PCA. And went into ministry. Uh, went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis with the PCA. And my first call in ordination was in the PCA. And uh, okay. through kind of various uh, circumstances. Uh, my first call, it was a situation where uh, I was an assistant pastor. The church um, uh, the church kind of fell into a difficult financial situation. They had to let me go, took another call. But I eventually ended up uh, in the RCA and then on to the CRC. Okay. And so uh, how, how has the, your journey been kind of going from PCA to RCA to CRC? Like what, what things have you kind of noticed journeying okay. into each one of those? So the uh, it's it's interesting. I you know I I I 
I've said my theology really hasn't changed all along. I mean, even though I've been in in these different places, it's still I still preach and teach and believe uh, basically the same Reformed theology. But it's interesting. Um, of course, I, when I when I was ordained in the PCA, I had to learn. You know, you, know, you studied the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You knew the Westminster Confession. Mm-hmm. Learned Presbyterian polity. But uh, as I came into the more Dutch Reformed uh, situation, I came to love the Heidelberg Catechism and the the uh, three forms of unity, uh, and, and also and also Dutch Reformed polity and and our form of a subscription or the, or the covenant for office bearers. So. Um, uh, even even though my Westminster is my background, I really love the confessions I'm under now and and the subscription that we are at least supposed to practice and observe yeah. here in the Christian Reformed Church. Yeah, what are some of the maybe nuances that you notice that you appreciate that come into the kind of the Dutch Reformed tradition um, in contrast? Not that we're ripping on the Westminster Confession, but but what are some things that you appreciate that are kind of a little different? Well, I, I love uh, I love teaching the Heidelberg, and I mm-hmm. I love its beautiful simplicity of the of the what is your only comfort in life and and in death. I also like that the three forms of unity are shorter. Um, when I was when I was ordained in the uh, PCA, of course, one of the things you did was you would uh, when I uh, went before the presbytery, I gave my list of exceptions. Do you have any exceptions, things like that? And with the Westminster, I found, you know, most people take an exception, at least on the Sabbath, the way it's stated in the Westminster Confession or various little things. And what I loved was I I read the, you know, going through the three forms of unity, I could subscribe to every point of doctrine in the three Mm -hmm. forms of unity and not have to quibble about exceptions or, or I, I was able to embrace every point of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's one, uh, one of the things that's really been striking me again um, about the Heidelberg catechism is a lot of people have said um, it's very pastoral for being a confession. And I hate the word pastoral in a lot of ways because the teaching is pastoral as well. So, but, but there, but there is a sense in it. Um, I don't know. It just, it really guides us in a lot of ways. And one of the ways I've been using it just personally recently is, uh, is using the sections from the Lord's prayer in my daily prayer. And so I took all of the, I took all the questions and just put the answers into, into a sheet. And then as I'm praying over my family and my congregation, I'm, I'm going through all those parts of the Lord's prayer. And I've noticed that it's really it's really changed the way I pray again. I, you know, you start off, you say, help us to truly know you to honor, glorify and praise you. And then you just kind of riff on that for a little bit. But then uh, this past Sunday, we always do kind of a question and answer format on the a different part of the Hudberg catechism each Sunday. And this past Sunday, we were at the part where um, it's talking about what does it mean when you say your kingdom come? And it says, rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you preserve your church and make it grow, destroy the devil's work, destroy every evil force that revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. And, and I'm, and I had to stop in our congregation and say, how many of you pray that daily? Mm-hmm. Destroy the devil's work, right? Mm-hmm. Destroy every force that goes against your word. And I'm like, that's really powerful. And that it really does begin to change just the way you, that you pray. 
Yeah, what wonder so much, yeah, stuff there on uh helpful material, I think, on the keys of the kingdom, the way the sacraments are presented. It, it's so beautiful and pastoral. And what I also find too, you know, so many of the of the older members of, of the congregation, of course, were catechized, grew up on the on the catechism, and you can just come back to so many of those points with people later in life, uh, on their on when people are sick or in trouble. And, and like you said, it's so pastoral and comforting and, and just beautifully written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of on that note, while we're on the confessions, Michael, I, I want to pick your brain on something. Um, I heard R.C. Sproul, this was shortly before he uh, passed. Uh, he said that one of the most beautiful things he appreciated about the Westminster standards were that uh, the Westminster standards are some of the most beautifully printed theological material he'd ever seen. That was its strength. He said its weakness is they they confessed probably too much. Uh, that that's that's something that even he confessed as a Presbyterian minister. Do you, would you kind of resonate with that? That that's kind of my, my thinking. Like for example, I mean he he is right. I mean the the section on scripture in the Westminster Confession. There, there's really nothing better. That you can come across in just a few short paragraphs on the Word of God. It's 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 amazing, and it's I, I think uh, it's it's uh, more developed than what we have in the in the three forms of unity. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there, what's happened? Uh, you know, it, for example, I mean, Westminster has a specific covenant theology that's given that was Westminster was written in the 1600s and there was more development in covenant theology at that point. And so you have it laid out, whereas three forms of unity, we don't really have a a developed doctrine of the covenant in the same way. What's ended up happening practically is we've just, we have different denominations that have kind of developed in the, in the Dutch reformed churches that reflect different covenant theology. So you have the free reformed, the Canadian reformed. And so it's, it's turned into different denominations who hold actually to the same confessional standards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. Yeah. So what, uh, what ways then Michael, uh, what, what ways do you use the confessions in your, in your congregation to kind of, to, to disciple your people? Um, we, we don't have the second service at our church anymore. That, that, uh, we, we, that's been about, it was just before I came here, they, 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 uh, left behind the second service where of course, that's where you did a lot of your, uh, catechizing of, of the congregation. We do still talk about, uh, bringing it back at some point. And I know there's, there'd be some people that would like to bring it back. So we'll see if that happens. But I look for opportunities to include the Heidelberg in the service. Uh, I've preached through um, the five points of Calvinism, for example, referencing the canons of Dort. I, I, I do believe that doctrinal preaching, it, we need to have doctrinal preaching and doctrinal teaching in our churches. That uh, That's uh, a weakness generally in, in evangelicalism. And it... Mm-hmm is increasingly a weakness in our church where that has churches where that's traditionally been fairly strong. Uh, people need to have that foundation in doctrine. So I try to do doctrinal series from time to time where we go. So I'll preach through the 10 commandments in the Heidelberg catechism. 
or you making use of the Heidelberg Catechism, I'll preach through uh, various points of, of doctrine using the confessions and catechisms, trying to make up for what we don't have any longer uh, in not having a second service. And of course, I teach, um, we've got in our church, we've got about 15 in catechism class on Sundays. And so I'm teaching those classes as well. Awesome. Yeah, no, fair. Um, Michael, I, I'm wondering your thoughts on this. So you obviously coming from the PCA um, had to enter into the EPMC program at Calvin Seminary. Is that right? Actually, uh, <laughs> I would have, but I uh, I had that one call in the RCA right before. And so oh, I was that's right. able to come in under the modified. Okay. Uh, well, I snuck in. <laughs> yeah, so I, snuck, I, I was able to sneak in. Um, I'd like, I, I think I snuck in too easily. I'm not sure that I, I want that to continue that <laughs> in terms of because of the relationship with the RCA, I was able to, I, I was able to really to just go through a process that took about a month to get everything I needed in to, to switch my credentials over to the CRC. Okay. That makes sense. My question had to do with, uh, your, your learning CRC polity, um, as you were coming out of the PCA and I get, there's a lot of overlap between CRC and RCA polity. I was wondering how that kind of, you know, shaped you and formed you as you're in ministry now, and even as you've served as a delegate to Synod. So I, I've been learning the process. Actually, it's interesting. The RCA is far more Presbyterian. Mm. Uh, they, they don't follow the uh, order of Dort in their polity. They follow more of a something that is like Presbyterian polity. So I've been learning the uh, the. Uh, church order based upon the church order of Dort that we use in the CRC. Um, it, it's, it's been a learning experience. I mean, the last year was my first time in Grand Rapids when I went to Synod. It was my first time on the campus of, of Calvin. I'd never been there before. And I was, I was kind of learning as we went along, but, but it's, it, it, it was interesting to, uh, for me to see how our Synod works. And um, really I was grateful for um, what, what a synod is able to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's a steep learning curve and there's all these little nuances, right? I think even, uh, there, there was a time where I was kind of learning the different polities and I kind of just assumed, well, Presbyterian and reform, like we have a reform, we have a Presbyterian polity, you know, we're the same. And then I started talking to my PCA brothers and they're like, no, 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 it's, it's quite a bit different actually. I mean, vaguely speaking, we have a similar idea of it, but the, but the real practical ways that it's carried out is very different. Well, the thing I like with us is that classes or synod, it's all delegates from churches. Well, classes, it's delegates from uh, member churches. But when I, when I go to classes, every delegate there is a delegate from a local church. Right. Whereas with, with Presbyterianism, because of the more, hierarchical approach, any minister in that region is automatically a member of the Presbytery and a voting member, uh, regardless of whether he is a, a pastor of a local church or not. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that changes things drastically. Yeah. Really. yeah. It, our, ours is, at least in theory, it's, it's the local churches delegating to the, to the classes 
to the broader assembly, and then the class is delegating to the synod. But it, but it's it's local church focused. In in our system, the only church, the only church is the local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in Presbyterianism, they don't they don't see it that way. Presbytery is the church. General assembly is the church. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, I, I still have a hard time even figuring out just the logistics of doing a general assembly with that many, the possibility of that many, I know they don't all show up, but it could on a really hot button topic. Yeah. I would assume general assembly is going to be packed with people and you're going to have way different votes. And I don't know, I can't imagine how just logistically how to figure that out. So much of the work has to be done in the, in the committees in It really before it goes into the floor, but uh, onto the floor. But uh, honestly, I prefer the with the with the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. They also have a delegated assembly, which yeah. I really think is the way to go for proper deliberation. Yeah, I think so too. I was just even thinking now, like if if you don't have a set number of delegates, it almost seems like there can be more even politicking involved because you can try to like make a move, right. To try to get up, pack the assembly with your delegates where with ours, no matter what people want to say, um, there's really not a good solid way to rig a synod because of the way that our policy, our polity, you can't do the political power plays really. Right. Well, also um, what happens at, when you're not delegated is it tends to be, it highly favors the region where it's being held because Mm -hmm. so in the PCA, of course, uh, you know, it's any minister can go. And so you're, you're, you know, you have to, to pay or your church pays to go and then to stay. And so it, it, if it's, if it's, it's usually in the Southern United States, it, it is much easier if you're a Southern church to get your minister there for, for the assembly than if you live in Seattle, Washington or something like that. So with, if we were not uh, in the CRC, if we were if we were not delegated, it would uh, it would be highly favorable to to the, if you were in Grand Rapids, say. Yeah, for sure. Well, I wanna I wanna kind of shift gears a little bit, and this is gonna be maybe a little different uh, because you you already kind of alluded that we all kind of met at Synod last year, Synod twenty twenty two, and we spent a few months kind of reflecting on Synod twenty twenty two, and now we kind of have stopped reflecting on that and been thinking about Synod 2023. But I think, you know, this episode is going to be coming out just a few weeks before Synod 2023 kicks off. And so I think it'd be helpful for us to have a little bit of a conversation about, uh, kind of reflect a little bit. It's almost been a year now since Synod 2022. So reflect on that a little bit. And then uh, and then I'd love to hear some of your thoughts too, Michael, about uh, this upcoming Synod as well. But Sure. Uh, what was what advisory committee did you serve on at Synod 2022? I was I was on the same one as you, I believe. It was education. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, see, I, I've I sat I sat right next to you. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was the education advisory committee. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> boy, you got me there. Yeah, my brain is so focused on this coming Synod right sure. now with yeah. all the work with it. I I forgot about that. Yeah. Well. What were just kind of talk then, Michael, about what were your kind of general thoughts coming out of uh, Synod twenty twenty two? I was I was pleased with uh, the decisions that were made. I mean, 
I think for a lot of us, we were we went in there wondering, is the CRC, are we going to uphold scripture? Are we going to uphold, uphold the word of God on these issues that are coming before us? Are we going to maintain the the biblical and confessional positions of our church? And uh, I wasn't sure. And, and um, my thinking was, if if uh, if the CRC decided not to to you know to kick the kick it down to a few years or set up another committee or not discipline or say let's let's uh, go to a, a two position approach that that's not something I was willing to be a part of if if we did not uh, maintain a, a biblical approach on the on the human sexuality issues. Uh, I would have, I would have uh, said, I, that's not something I can be a part of, but so I was very grateful with the actions that were taken by Synod and in terms of um, saying that, yes, this is what our confession teaches, because that's what, that's what our confession teaches. And, and anyone looking at that word, uh, uh, that word unchastity, that that's the things that we included under unchastity definitely were what, should be included under unchastity. So, I was, and and then the disciplinary actions that were taken, I was I was grateful for those. But people also think, in terms of you know what a hard synod it was, or the the stress of it, or people a lot of people have a lot of negative thoughts about last year's synod. But I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed meeting so many of the delegates there. Many of them, I don't know, we didn't actually many of the tables over lunch, we didn't actually talk about necessarily the issues that were going on at the floor, on the floor of Synod. I just enjoyed meeting the people, talking to them, learning more about the the people of our denomination. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, I, it, it's kind of funny, right? I think once we get to lunch, everybody's like, let's just talk and get to know each other. Like, we don't need to keep talking business. And it's really a good just time of fellowship amongst you know, fellow brothers and sisters. And even if we disagree on some of these things, we can still sit and enjoy fellowship. That's why I think, you know, I think that's probably why some people looking in from the outside and only watching the live stream and only seeing the the debate and the deliberation on the floor seem to think that it's, you know, it was aggressive and blah, 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 all of that. But like the general tone didn't feel that way at all. I mean, I don't even think it felt that way on the floor, but but I think right. if people seen all of the conversations happening around dinner tables and and stuff, they they really would have not felt like it was so uh harsh. Yeah, and there there were plenty of times where I was sitting at a table with people I I even knew were probably not voting the same way I was on some of the issues, but we had we had good conversations and and uh we're able to enjoy that time together. That for me was uh, what I really remember about it. I, it was just such a positive experience getting to know so many people. Yeah. I, I'd be curious on your thoughts. You know, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of conversation recently about our vote that we took on unchastity and uh, on the, on the understanding of unchastity. And some people have been saying, that when we made that vote, we kind of raised this to a, to a confessional status. Was that your understanding as a delegate when you were taking that vote? No, not at all. I mean, I just, I just was, 
looking at what that word means and, and how it would, I mean, anybody in our tradition, you know, for hundreds of years would have understood that, that uh, certain, the, the, these issues we're dealing with in the present and so forth. And, uh, you know, these, these sexual issues fall under the issue of under unchastity. And I mean, it's if you go to other Dutch Reformed uh, denominations, the URC, uh, the Free Reformed, uh, none of them are thinking, oh, we need to change our confession or add to our confession because it doesn't address these issues. They know that unchastity in the catechism addresses these issues that are before us. There's no need to change the confession, add, add to it. Our confession already speaks to these matters. Yeah, and, you know, it's, for, for so many of us, we felt that was very clear and we were, we, we were trying to make sure that we were really clear, even though it didn't use the word already, but it said, this is confessional. And it didn't say we're making it confessional or anything like that. It was, we were very clear. And even I I was trying to remember, I have a quote somewhere um, from the floor uh, from the reporter of the committee, even saying, no, that's what we're addressing. We're saying we're not raising this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the narrative coming out of it has been, oh, you raised it from some people and other people like myself. I keep saying, no, that was one of the reasons why the word clarity came up or clarify came up is saying, no, we're just clarifying what we what this word means, not because we're changing it or raising it, but we're just clarifying this is what we've always meant. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if if unchastity doesn't include the things that we mentioned under that under that word, then then words have no meaning. That's you can't right. even really have a confession. I mean, if we if we did with other things what we're, what people are trying to do with the word unchastity, uh, you can't even you can't have a conversation with people. Everything is up in the air. Words have no meaning. You can't really have a confession. Uh, Ursinus, I mean, going back to when the, you know, the catechism was written and then throughout history, it's always been understood to include certain things, uh, certain sexual behaviors, basically um, any sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant as, as, as being forbidden they've understood that. And it's only, I mean, it's no accident that given the way our culture has gone, the sexual revolution over the, over the last uh, 50, 60 years, it's no accident that we're dealing with these issues in the church today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to, and you know, this isn't the first time, nor will it be the last time that the church is going to have to make clarifications and, and take stands. I mean, one of the, one of the things that um, I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but one of the things we're going to have to eventually talk about is like, do we need new confessions as well to rep- to kind of talk about some of these issues that are happening today? I mean, I think people forget that the confessions that were written were speaking to issues in the church and bringing clarity to those kind of issues. And, you know, I was just listening to another pastor recently in the Christian Reformed Church, who's done a lot of work on on sexuality, and they said it really is important for us to start thinking um, along the lines of these new ideas of sexuality going on in the culture. It really is a religious vision of the world. Right, it's a whole different worldview, and it's kind of our cultural religion right now. 
And so that means we need to learn how to speak to it and speak to it effectively and answer in ways that are kind of re- responding to that. And that has me thinking, well, it has me asking the question anyways, sure. like, is there, is there, is it necessary? Is it important for us to even have a new confession to kind of address this because it is the cultural religion of today? Oh, wow. That's, that's an interesting question. Um, I think certainly we should, um, people that are, um, are studying these issues, uh, Christians who are committed to scripture and studying these issues should be writing about them and things should be being discussed in our assemblies and so forth, uh, to write a confession. I mean, you, you think in terms of what, what was done to, uh, when you think of, uh, bring uh, together the confessions that we have and or you think of the Westminster Assembly and the Westminster mm-hmm. Assembly of Divines that produced uh, those documents uh, certainly that uh, to, there's a there's a real challenge in producing confessions that test uh, that uh, stand the test of time that is that's for sure yeah. but uh, probably we should I mean we kind of we we uh, you know we've got our our confessions, which are are now uh, more than three hundred years old, uh, both on the Presbyterian and and Dutch Reformed side, and we kind of stopped writing them, or we haven't written anything that's uh, that's uh, um, been elevated to that status in the church. Probably we should be thinking about things like that. We shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily think that uh, we need to be frozen in time in terms of those uh, uh, documents being our standards. Same time, they're yeah. under documents. <laughs> they I are. Really and I'm not diving to the three forms of unity. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I would never say they're insufficient because I've loved them. Right. I just. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think there's just. I wouldn't even want to get rid of them. I would only want to build upon them. Here's well, here's something. Denominational state. I mean, we we put together. You know, we did the human sexuality report, but mm-hmm. you could. I mean, a, a few years back, of course, they had the Nashville statement that was put together. Uh, the the PCA didn't adopt that as a confession of the church, but the assembly did pass a motion of a, uh, approving it, um, mm-hmm. basically commending it to the churches and so forth. So maybe there are things like that that can be done where um, our best scholars on these issues write things that will be helpful to the church that will, and especially serve the church. I mean, in terms of, I mean, the goal here is always pastoral, missional. Uh, it would be good to have documents that that help people to understand these issues in a biblical way. Yeah, I do still see, and I, I, I still, I'm not pushing one way or the other because I, 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 people get nervous when you start talking about adding confessions and stuff. I, I get that too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just, I keep thinking, like, what, what power would there be? Let's say if the, the CRC and the PCA and and some of these Orthodox denominations could could get together, we could get multiple denominations to get together and write a statement on human sexuality and write not even a statement. I would say would be something, but even write a confession stating who we are sexually. And we could get a whole bunch, not just the CRC, but other people to kind of sign on and say, yeah, this is who we are. And this pushes back against this cultural flow. Like, would that help us uh, actually missionally be able to, to speak accurately, correctly to people? I don't know. I just, 
It's, it's something I, I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. And, and, well, maybe you do something like that. Um, and if it is helpful to the churches and uh, serve the serves the churches well, maybe over time uh, the churches receive. If it if uh, the churches see its benefit, maybe over time it wouldn't be adopted. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com, look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned for our next episode, which is part two of our conversation with Michael Seville. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.